Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. So the attention's heavy within the room, right? As it feels a little heavy here. You know what? Listen, Jesus died. He rose from the grave. Uh, he knows that you will probably, uh, you know, fell him at some point in time in your relationship with him. None of us are perfect. We're all still sinners saved by the grace of God, but we still make mistakes. And he's right there to restore us and pick us back up, right? That's who we are, okay? So, and if you backslid in and you turned your back on him, well, then turn back to him and run back to Him. You're never so far from God that you can't turn back to Him and try again. He already knows that you have before and will again mess up. Life gets a lot simpler when you accept two things. One, that He already knows, and two, that you will make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Today, Pastor James says that we should not only turn back, but that we should run back to Him. Mistakes happen, and they're going to keep happening. But when you fall, He'll be there to help you up and to forgive you when you ask him for it. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 14 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. He never sends you out on a mission without having a predetermined effect in one sense. Now, there's freedom of, you know, f- decisions we get to make and all that good stuff. And we can delay, I think, sometimes by just our stubbornness and sin and whatever. But man, his plan is going to happen how he wants it to happen. And that should comfort us as Christians that we can trust him. If he's calling you to do something, you can step out in faith because he has you. He has you. It just may not look like you thought it should look like. These guys weren't thinking, we're going to go into Jerusalem and we'll find a guy carrying a water pitcher. They would have never planned it like that. But Jesus did. He's brilliant. He says, follow him. Verse 14, at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, the rabbi asks, where is the guest room that I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? So this kind of lets us know that maybe Jesus had already had a conversation with this guy. We don't know, just speculation. It says, verse 15, he will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That's part of that thing. Again, just thinking like Jesus is already working out some of these details, possibly. That is where you should prepare you, you too, Peter and John, you should prepare the meal for Passover. Jesus is like, I got the room ready. I just need you guys to show up and get it all ready, get everything else ready to go. Kind of, kind of brilliant. I love that. I love how the Lord works sometimes. Where he's like, I've already done the hard work. I found the place. I got it secure. The room's all set and ready to go. I just need you to show up and to serve. That's what I need. I need you to show up and serve. I need you to serve beforehand. Before the guests show up, I need you to be there getting it ready to go. That's what I, the place is already ready. It's set. It's determined. So Peter and John are going to go out and do this. It says in, um, Verse 16, so the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as he had said. And they, Peter and John, prepared Passover meal, the Passover meal there. So I don't know what's going on in their heads. I don't know if this is something they were accustomed to of having to prepare the Passover meal. 
Maybe at one point in time they thought in the midst of all their arguing with each other that this is beneath me. Doesn't he realize, I mean, we're like two of the three who saw him transfigured. Like he only took three of us up there and why isn't that other one with us? Why is it just us two? Why do we have to do this? Could have been their mentality. But again, that's speculation. We don't know. They could have right hearts. They could have been like, this is amazing that he's entrusting us to prepare this Passover meal. Knowing their personalities, that's probably not what was going on. Okay? I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but um, I think just knowing, especially knowing Peter, he's probably like, dude, what did, what did we do wrong this time? What did I say this time? Now we got to prepare this meal for everybody. Verse 17, story goes on, in the evening. So the sun is setting. Really, the sun's going down, and we're really entering into a new day. It says, in the evening, Jesus arrived with the 12. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. One of you eating with me here will betray me. Strange table talk, right? Now, I know there's other gospel accounts and, and some of the orders a little bit different, but we're sticking to Mark's gospel for this morning. And he's going to go through, you know, Passover meal and all this good stuff, but he lets them know right at the beginning, there's one of you, and not one of the 120 or so technically that were following him, he says, there's one of you, 12. You're going to betray me. You're going to betray me. What I appreciate is verse 19. Greatly distressed. This is from New Living Translation. It says, greatly distressed. Each one of them asked in turn, am I the one? Am I the one? We know from, uh, I believe it's Luke's account, that Judas, he, Judas was you know, highlighted as specifically one who was asking that for sure. But Mark's account, Mark with Peter lets us know that they all ask that question. Am I the one? That provides beautiful insight into their lives. Now, only one would betray them. Make no mistake about it. There was one who was designated, one who, the son of perdition, the one who would betray him that was prophesied about. Only one was going to do that, and that was Judas, period, period. The rest are going to abandon him. They're going to flee at the time when he told them they were going to. They're all going to turn their backs on him, but only one was going to betray him, and that was Judas. And Jesus is letting him know at the table, one of you will sell me out. I already know what was happening in Judas's heart, already aware of the conversations that were had between Judas and the high priest, fully aware of what was going on, but it, I appreciate the other 11 for sure. At least they were asking the question, is that me? What I like about that is there's the, maybe the air of pride or something was removed in one sense. And they had the humility to ask that question. Lord, is it me? And they didn't know Judas was going to be the one. They had no idea Judas was going to be. When they looked at Judas, they thought like, no, for sure. Like, I don't even know why he's not one of the top three. They completely were oblivious to what Judas had, you know, what was going on. John's gospel goes into some other detailed account, you know, concerning the fact that Judas was stealing from Jesus from the money. He was the treasurer and he was helping himself to the money that was coming in. 
but they were unaware of a lot of this stuff. And so this puts them all at even ground, so to speak, where they all ask that question, Lord, is it me? Is it me? There's some practical application point that can go along with this. You know, I don't want to betray Jesus. I have no plans of turning my back on Jesus at all. To me, it just seems even ridiculous that that would even be a notion, right? Like, but people wrestle with this all the time. My encouragement to you, I use students asking me all the time, like, can I, I mean, can I walk away from him? Can I lose my salvation? All that, some deep, nice, beautiful questions. And we can address those things. I don't have time this morning to go into depth on those things. Here's, this is my encouragement to anybody who's ever asked those questions. Just fall more in love with him. I never worry about falling away from Jesus. I never worry about walking away from Jesus. I don't. My salvation is secure. I mean, it was bought. It was a price that he had paid for it. Um, now, theologically, you could disagree with me thinking like, well, no, you can lose your salvation. We can talk about that later. I personally don't believe that I can lose something that was really never mine to be purchased in one sense. It was a free gift from him. And I'm very secure in my relationship with Jesus. And my goal for 20 years has been, I just want to grow closer to him. I don't worry about falling away in one sense or, or betraying him or walking away from him because I'm just, I just want to get to know him more. Like, that's my attitude. That's my approach of things. And you, you may think differently and all that stuff. And that's, to, that's totally fine. But I just find comfort in like, man, Jesus, I, I just want to know you more. I just want to know you more. I want to grow my relationship with you. Because there's, there's a lot that I just don't understand. Even after 20 years of a little bit of Bible college and a whole lot of pastoring, I just don't understand. And I just want to know more. I want to grow in that relationship. It's fascinating here that all 12 are like, is it me? Am I the one? Am I the one? And even Peter, if you can imagine the scene where Jesus is reclining there and on his left is Judas, a place of prominence, okay? He's going to wash Judas's feet as well, just so we understand that. He's giving Judas every opportunity to have a way out. You got to know, scripturally, Judas was all in to sell Jesus out, okay? Satan didn't hijack his heart. He didn't hijack his heart. He found a willing vessel. He found a willing vessel. Judas was more than willing to be that guy, more than willing to. I don't have a lot of sympathy for Judas. I don't. The act of betrayal that he commits here after dinner in the Middle Eastern culture is the, is the most despicable act you can do. So for these Jews sitting at a table to know this guy just sold them out after they just, they just shared a bowl together with the matzah and all that stuff, it's incredible that somebody would do that. But he was willing. He was willing. So there you go. So the attention's heavy within the room, right? As It feels a little heavy here. You know what? Listen, Jesus died. He rose from the grave. Uh, he knows that you will probably... Uh, you know, fell him at some point in time in your relationship with him. None of us are perfect. We're all still sinners, saved by the grace of God, but we still make mistakes. And he's right there to restore us and pick us back up, right? That's who we are, okay? So, and if you backslid in and you turned your back on him, well, then turn back to him and run back to him. Story's not over. Story's not, he's not done. He's not done with you and he's not done with what he's doing in you. So don't think like, oh, no, I'm a Judas. There was one Judas. Now, there are other people who have completely turned their backs on him, and 
who once it seemed like they were followers of his. It's not my business to know their eternal security. I don't know where they're at. I don't judge that. That's between them and Jesus. So at one point in time, they had seemed like they were serving him, and then now they're blatant, you know, atheists and all that. That's not my business, man. That's, that's between the Lord knows. He knows their heart. He knows where they're at. I'm just trying to stay focused on him. And I make a lot of mistakes. So I got to do a lot of owning, owning it in my own walk with Jesus. So I'm, that's, that's kind of where I stay. These guys, all greatly distressed, verse 20, he says, it is one of you who is eating from this bowl right in front of them with me. Okay, so at that moment in time, what's probably happening is Jesus is taking the matzah, okay, and he's dipping it into the bowl of bitter herbs. Bowl of bitter herbs, which signified bondage and slavery in Egypt. They were reminded of that through these bitter herbs. And at that time, as he has his hand in there, there's another hand in there, the guy sitting to his left, and his name is Judas Iscariot, and they are both dipping their matzah bread into the bowl of bitter herbs at the same time. And even with that, the 11 guys are like, dude, who is it? Um, right? So I'm like, I'm thinking if I was there, I may know, but I'm so clueless at these things. But I'd probably be thinking like, oh, seriously, is it me? As I'm at the end of the table. But that's, that's what happened. And we know from the other gospel accounts that really it's, it's within this moment that Jesus is going to tell Judas, hey, look, what you've already determined to do, go and do it. Okay? Go and do it. And so he may have been able to share within the Passover meal, but he does not get to partake in communion. Most experts believe that at this moment in time is when Judas would leave and then the Lord institutes communion. And Judas isn't present for that. And I believe that. I agree with that. But he lets them know, it's one of you who's eating from this bowl with me, for the Son of Man must die. That's the plan, as the scriptures have declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. And that's absolutely true. That actually applies to anybody who rejects Jesus. That's the reality of this life. Okay? If you reject Jesus, the free gift of him dying on the cross for your sins, like, I want nothing to do with you. I'm going to tell you, in the end, you're going to wish you had never been born. Because there is a reality of, there is a heaven, new heaven, new earth, and there is a hell. These things are true. And here's Jesus with Judas giving him the seat of prominence on his left hand, washing his feet, kind of communicating to him like, Judas, you still have a choice, buddy. And what Judas, I believe, represents is this aspect of humanity that's like, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with you. You are not who I thought you were going to be. You were, you were wanting a king and you got a sacrifice. You're wanting a king and you got a lamb that's about to be delivered over to be slaughtered. Oh, he is the king. He is the king of king and lord of lords and he is coming back. But for this individual that the word had, Psalm 41 verse 9 tells us that, this best friend of his who would betray him, hand him over. And Jeremiah prophesies about it again, and Zechariah prophesies about it as well, that this guy would be a willing vessel to do this. And Jesus says, it would be better if you had never been born. It'd be better if you had never been born. And I know there's some who think like, well, this just doesn't seem fair that God would create or cause Judas to be born into existence only to have this destiny. This is what he wanted. 
He was a willing vessel. I'm not saying he wanted this to play out. He probably had these other dreams of like, no, I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to rule and reign with you in your new kingdom. Let's kick out these Romans. Let's establish your kingdom here and now. I want to be your guy, your treasurer there. Well, you already robbed him from him as a servant. And who knows what's going to happen if that were to play out. Man, just the corruption that would follow Judas because that's his heart. His heart was wicked. And he wanted nothing to do with this Jesus, nothing to do with him. And I know there's people out there that are Judas sympathizers and all this good stuff. And my, you know, there's plays that were made about him and gospel of Judas. And we got it all wrong. And he's not really the bad guy that he, he was a willing vessel to betray Jesus, guys. The scripture is pretty clear about this. Pretty clear about this. And here you have a firsthand account of, from Peter with Mark through the, this is key, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If this is a book written by man, then I would understand some of those arguments. But this is a book that is written by God that I say, this is what the word says about him. There's a lot. I've read so many articles this week concerning this. But look, I, I'm no different than a Judas. That's the other reality, right? Like, I'm a sinner just like he was. Can I betray Jesus and all that good stuff? Man, that, I got to be on guard. I got to be on guard that I don't have that spirit of Judas kind of a deal within me that it's all about me. That's all about me. And if Jesus doesn't deliver what I think he should deliver, then I'm going to get upset about that. I have to be on guard from that all the time. So there's an aspect of Judas that I can, I, I understand. But I'm not selling Jesus out for the price of a slave. That's not happening in my life, in my walk with Jesus. Verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. So there's that transition that we don't get within Mark, but you read the other gospel accounts and Judas, he's already left. He's going to go arrange it with the guys, the guards and all that good stuff. So here's where your communion gets instituted. They were eating, he took some bread and he blessed it and he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the new covenant or the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So just so you understand how Passover works, there's four cups that were, that were shared in Passover. This cup that he's speaking of would be the cup of redemption that Judas missed out on, that he missed out on. This would be the cup of redemption. This also signifies the fact that Jesus as our groom, the husband, is saying, I'm going to go, you read John's gospel, the parallel to this story, and he says, just after this, he he needs to encourage them because they're all still kind of bummed out, right? But he lets them know, I'm going to go, just like in Jewish culture, Middle Eastern culture, we did this covenantual agreement. We're together. Now I'm going to go to my dad's house, and I'm going to build you a room, and then I'm going to come back and get you, okay? That's kind of what's happening here in this beautiful little intimate 
story in the middle of the night as the one who has already left to go betray Jesus and is making all those arrangements, Jesus is talking to his 11 and says, hey, this cup, this is a new deal. He's fulfilled all the old covenants in Christ was the fulfillment of all those. And now he's instituting this new thing. And we celebrate communion. We celebrate his body, which would be broken, quote unquote, for us. But then also that cup, cup of redemption, celebrating Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us, that blood that was poured out for us that covers all of our sins, but also in one way kind of seals us to when the the groom is going to show back up. And he will show back up. He is coming back. All signs point to that. You don't need me to tell you that, but you just look around what's happening in our world. And I'm going to tell you this, Jesus is coming back soon. The groom is waiting for dad to say, green light, go get your bride. I think we're really close. I think we're really close to where whatever that room is, quote unquote, John chapter 14, that Jesus is working on for his bride, the church, I think the last nails are going in. I think it's, I think it's almost done. And that's a good, it's an encouragement for us who are like weary in doing well Right? And you're just like, man, this, it's hard. It's, Lord, it's, it's hard. And it's getting progressively more difficult in these days. But it's also a good wake-up call. If you are on the sidelines, if you have backslidden, you better wake up. Because he's coming back. And he told his disciples, he's like, listen, I'm going to come back like a thief in the night. I don't want to find you sleeping. I've commissioned you. I've called you onto a mission. You better be alert. You better be watching. Don't be surprised by his return. He was constantly letting his disciples know that, and it's a good reminder for us as well. And in this beautiful moment of communion, Jesus capped it off with this. Partake of this cup, this cup of redemption, and I'm just going to let you know, I'm not going to drink wine again until I come back for my bride. And then as they would do when celebrating Passover, they would sing a hymn. And then they went out to the Mount of Olives so that Jesus could pray. And so that Jesus, the suffering, would begin for Jesus. A night of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Stress so extreme, the capillaries underneath his skin are bursting, and he's sweating great drops of blood. Judas is making arrangements He's letting his guys know, Peter, dude, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. You're all going to run away. At my time, I need you the most, kind of. You're all just going to bail on me. And this is that transition. But before you get to that stuff, you have this beautiful moment of communion with Jesus, which is really, I mean, this was instituted here. And then we see in a messed up church, Church of Corinth, you have this great reminder from Paul as he reflects back onto this night that we were talking about. And in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he says this, I'm going to pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Okay? So Paul is framing this out for this church in Corinth. It's just, look, this is what we do. We celebrate him. And so 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces. This is the bread. He says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.